The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Chaos to Calm with our hosts, Jackie Blunt, Kathy Fogarty, and Bill McMillan. On our program, let us introduce you to Renshue and a very special state of well-being, relaxation, calm, and improved health. Real change in your life starts here. Now, Chaos to Calm. Welcome to Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. My name is Bill McMillan, and I have the pleasure of co-hosting our show, Chaos to Calm, with Kathy Fogarty, a naturopath in Seattle, Washington. In this series of programs, you'll hear from people who are learning to live their lives in a calm and relaxed state using tools derived from ancient wisdom traditions. Renchwe is a comprehensive path to wellness that works on opening our hearts and clarifying our minds. Renchwe also has tools to work directly on the body and its energy. One tool is Yuan Gong, a contemporary form of Qigong that melds graceful movements with meditation and breath to improve health and well-being. Today our show title is Death, Breath, and Harmony. Joining us today is Helen Greenspan, who has been a hospice nurse for 25 years. She's also a graduate of the Meta Institute End of Life Practitioner Program, a program that focuses primarily on the spiritual aspects of dying with values such as presence, openness, mindfulness, and love. She has also been a member of Threshold Choir for 15 years, an organization whose members sing in small groups at the bedside of those who are dying. Welcome. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. So Helen Greenspan... Is there anything else that you would like to share with us about uh, yourself? About who I am? And who you are and how you came to be involved with Range Way? And... Um, I, I think in the way that I came to be involved with most, thing, most things that are important to me is probably through the root of suffering. <laughs> um, just, uh, you know, looking for um, ways to ease my own suffering to deepen, to um, touch places of truth, both um, body, mind, and spirit. And um, Ren Shui is um, all of that, very comprehensive. I hadn't found another type of um, system that has been so comprehensive. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk to us today about your work with death and dying? <clears throat> What specifically would you like to know? <laughs> well, well, so why did you get into it in the first place? Why, why do you do it? it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some ways I feel like, um, you know how people say they were born to do this, they were born to do this work. I do feel in a way like this has been um, a perfect match for me in many, many ways. Um, I actually intended to be a midwife <laughs> initially, and then it turned into being... A midwife to the dying um, is really what my work is. And um, 
I was, you know, one of these kids who was super sensitive and really tapping into people's vulnerability, you know, very early memories of, you know, seeing people in the hospital or whatever, and just really, you know, feeling it in my own body and wanting um, somehow to bring comfort um, to people, to animals when they're very vulnerable or sick, or in this case, dying. And I had um, several really significant losses of my own when I was in my teens and early adult that's adulthood that separated me from many of my peers. Um, and so I really delved into that world, um, immediately started taking classes on death and dying and life after death and studied Kubler-Ross and, you know, did that well through my 20s before I became a nurse. Um, I wanted to understand, you know, I wanted to understand what this thing is that we don't talk about in our culture, but that seems to be a part of everybody's, every being's life. Um, and I couldn't find answers. You know, I couldn't find answers from my mother. I couldn't find answers from what was around me. So I really was seeking mm -hmm. to, um, you know, is anybody willing to talk about, you know, dying and death? And so I think in many ways my work in hospice for all these years has been um, a quest, you know, to try to, to understand um, not like I do understand yet, mm. but um, to really be um, in those very, very, very precious moments, you know, where that veil gets very mm. thin and um, be in that space of, you know, mystery and magic and sorrow and even joy. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's what I want to say about that. Thank you. So what do you think is needed at the bedside of someone who is dying? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is calm. Mm. You know, it's a... Um, It's it's really a lot going on at the bedside. You know, I think sometimes we have an idea that, oh, you know, people, everybody can have a peaceful death and they can just lie down like they do in the movies and close their eyes and um, it's beautiful, you know. Um, and in reality, in most realities, at least that I've been a part of, you know, there's a process, there's a labor there's intensity, there's grief, there's unresolved, there's family, you know, which makes it really complicated. And um, finding calm when all of that is going on, you know, what the body does when somebody dies can be very unsettling to watch. Um, and then there's all the attachment. So I think that one of the things that is most needed is a sense of calm. Um, I can speak about it energetically for me, which mm -hmm. what happens, I mean, often I will be 
in the car, behind the car that hits the dog. When I, you know, this has happened to me many times and keeps going. So I get out of my car and there's a frantic owner who's just, you know, screaming and crying as I would likely be. And I will just quietly go pick up that being and hold it while it dies. And what I'm doing energetically is just really opening and opening and holding and really trying to bring my energy down to meet that being as they're transitioning when it's very clear it's going to die. And so when I am at a bedside of a human being, um, I, I work similarly. I really try to stay as calm as possible, which is um, more challenging sometimes than others. <laughs> I don't. I don't reach this goal a hundred percent. But I, so I think staying calm is really, really important. And I'll add a second one, which. Um, has to do, and I'll put it in the category of openness, mm. since we talk a lot about openness in Ren Shui, um, especially with the five essential qualities of the heart, openness being one of them, um, which is to not have an agenda about how this is supposed to go. And I think this remains one of my greatest challenges, because of course we all want people we love and as a nurse, I want my patients to have a peaceful death. And a peaceful death, in my mind, looks a certain way. It looks mm-hmm. what we would all consider to be very peaceful. And it doesn't always happen that way. And so coming in with an expectation that I'm either going to provide a peaceful death or that there will be or somehow we have to make it be can really feel like a pressure, not only to me, but I imagine to the person in the bed as well. Um, So sort of expanding my awareness out before I even walk into somebody's home to be open to whatever is going to happen and whatever presents itself to me um, is a really, really helpful tool for me when I do this work um, so that I'm not feeling like I am disappointing others or disappointing myself or that the situation isn't disappointing me um, but that I'm really open to um, whatever it's showing itself and that way I can um, attend to what comes up mm-hmm. in a real natural I'm wondering way if you could if you're comfortable with this uh, sharing an example or two where you've come into situations that are really complicated and You've had to draw some on some other part of yourself to find that calm. Yeah, I mean, I would say it happens quite a bit, um, particularly if there's family in the room, because as we know, families are complicated, and I have my own complicated family. And um, But I did have recently a really, really, probably one of the top five challenging experiences Um, where I came into a home not knowing that the patient, the woman, um, was actually actively, was going to die immediately or very soon. We just didn't, that it just something happened unexpected. Um, So when I came out there, it was a very, very, very um, troubled, dysfunctional um, home 
there was you know um, drugs and alcohol and screaming and um, terrible heat there were heaters going everywhere and very chaotic environment and nobody able to tend to her and she was in severe distress um, and you know, looking at me and, and, and for several hours, you know, panting and just saying, help me, help me, help me. And, um, you know, as and a nurse... What, what was happening to you while she was doing that? Uh, a part of me wanted to run down the street <laughs> and not come back, in all honesty. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was very aware. We were running. We didn't have tools. We didn't have tools in terms of medicines that she could take because she couldn't swallow as of like an hour previous to when I arrived. So I was, it really did feel like I was a bit on the battlefield with a comrade without anything Mm -hmm. while they were dying. So it took um, a lot of steadying on my part to um, to stay uh, emotionally, physically, in all ways there. I did have to keep taking breaks out of the room Go stand in the other room. So you take care of yourself. I had to. In this particular situation, I, um, it what didn't? Yeah, I I just I had to go out of the room every few minutes for just a little bit and then come back. The family left, (laughs) so I was there alone. And um, again, didn't know at that point that she was actually going to die. Um, But at some point, it became very clear that she was. And this is somebody who I knew to be a religious person. And um, I didn't have, I was, I was trying to do all kinds of things in my mind to help calm her, but nothing was helping. And that alone was sort of enough to, you know, escalate my anxiety more. And then this is the kind of thing where it's like, okay, just keep opening, just keep opening. Like, you don't know what's going to happen here, just keep opening. And I went up to her at one point and I just looked her right in the eyes and said, whatever it is you do with God, do it now. In like a very authoritative tone, which is completely not like me. But it came from somewhere and it touched something in her so that at that moment she actually started transitioning in a much different way. It was like some part of her knew then Something, I don't know, I'm just projecting, but something switched and you could see it physically. And then she did end up dying about an hour later. But she calmed down right away. She absolutely calmed down um, and went into a a deeper part of the dying process. I have no way of saying this caused that, but what I think strikes me even more than her reaction was that where where did that come from in me? Because it is not like me to to be quite like that. I didn't know where the words came from. And, um, but in fact, I felt like it was really probably the right thing. So um, there's a trust that happens um, for me now after years of doing this work and after uh, years of doing my own work, you know, through Renshway and, and, and other things, you know, to... Um, even sitting here doing this interview, you know, like, well, I got to trust that it's going to come through. Like what I want to say and what's important for people to hear is going to is going to come through. And that sort of trust um, 
has grown into a confidence, not, not a cocky confidence, but a quiet confidence that I can lean into. You know, I'm curious, and this is like a little bit maybe off what we've just been talking about, but in my family, I've had several, my, two, my siblings have both died, and I'm the oldest, mm-hmm. and what has really struck me uh, as I watched my sister dying of cancer and then my brother dying of a chronic respiratory ailment last year was the denial in my family that they were dying. And what really, again, struck me was how that denial caused them to die alone in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could speak to that at all. And in terms of your role? Do you mean the denial of your your siblings who died? Or well, the you know, you're going to be the, fine. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, people... Uh-huh. So with my sister in particular, because she had been <clears throat> diagnosed with colon cancer, but... Uh, and she was young. She was 42. And she was afraid. And, uh, you know, back then it was like, don't talk like that. Oh, you're going to be fine. And it just... I came to realize that my God, this 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 young woman, relatively young woman, was 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 very scared. And if someone had been mm. able to hold the space for her, mm. um, much the way I would expect that probably that's part of the work that you do, mm-hmm. um, it would have been a lot less of a lonely experience. Yeah, I think for many many people, dying is really lonely mm-hmm. because. There's a false cheeriness, cheerfulness mm-hmm. that a lot of people will bring, you know, because we don't want to actually, they think it's bringing the person down, right? But because of how we are in this culture around death and dying, we really don't have these spaces where people can learn, you know, um, and be with it. So, you know, I used to be much more uh, strident, I would say, about... Um, breaking through denial. I used to really feel, you know, that family members should deal with it, you know, that the person who's dying should know. But it was this sort of external agenda. What's happened to me a lot more recently is um, an awareness of... um, Oh, it's just so individual, and I don't want to push anything on anybody who's not ready, particularly the person in the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to come in there as a hospice nurse and say, you're dying, you know, because so much of, of hospice reputation, you know, in the culture is that, you know, we're the death nurses and we come in waving the death flags. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's helpful to traumatize people when they're trying to grasp something that is really unfathomable. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't understand it. Like, really, how could it be? I'm alive and then I'm dead. That doesn't make any sense at all on some level, right? To the mind, to the ego. Um, I have been more um, uh, directive with family members if I really feel like either their denial is harming the person, um, making them feel lonely, Right. I have, I will, it is not uncommon for me, especially toward um, the end of the person's life, to say to the family, if you don't step up and meet her, 
here. You're going to miss this. We're going to, I had to break this right at this moment, but we're going to have to take a short break. And when we come back to um, Voice America Health and Wellness, um, we will be continuing our conversation with Helen Greenspan and we'll pick it up about families and death. Great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. So many people live from one crisis to another, with each crisis taking an emotional and often even a physical toll. It doesn't have to be like that. Renshaway can help you change the patterns that keep you locked in stress. It can help you learn to live life from a calm, relaxed, natural state, even in the face of challenging circumstances. Renshuay integrates gentle exercise and moving meditation with a modern understanding of health and wellness. The practice has helped many to reduce anxiety and stress, gain greater mental focus and clarity, improve their physical health, or simply enhance their energy level. To learn more about how Wrenchway can help you, visit our website, wrenchwayamericas.org. That is R-E-N-X-U-E, Americas with an S, dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Chaos to Calm with Jackie Blunt, Kathy Fogarty, and Bill McMillan. To find out more about Wrenchway, what we do, and how it can benefit you, visit our website, www.renxueamericas.org. Now back to Chaos to Calm. Welcome back to Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. My, my name is Bill McMillan. I have the pleasure of co-hosting our show, Chaos to Calm, with Kathy Fogarty, a naturopath in Seattle, Washington. In this series of programs, you'll hear from people who are learning to live their lives in a calm and relaxed state using tools derived from ancient wisdom traditions. Ren Shui is a comprehensive path to wellness that works on opening our hearts and clarifying our minds. Rinchui also has tools to work directly on the body and its energy. One tool is Yuang Gong, a contemporary form of Qigong that melds graceful movements with meditation and breath to improve health and well-being. And today our show's title is Death, Breath, and Harmony, and with us is Helen Greenspan, who's been a hospice nurse for over 25 years, and she's talking about some of her experiences there. And Helen, you were just, um, before the break, beginning to talk a little bit about families. I wonder if you could um, just tell, uh, tell us and the listeners a little bit about what you see in families, what's, what works well and what doesn't, how denial plays in it, however that seems important to you. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> it's a wide open question. It's a wide open question. I mean, we were talking about denial, and I just want to say, again, having, um, I recently lost my own mother about a year and a half ago, and everything I, many things I knew as a nurse were out the window, and I found myself doing and thinking things that were more along the lines of denial than, it really shocked me, because I'm like, I got this, like. I know this one, I can do this with my mother. And it was just amazing to watch my own mind and heart and how it just couldn't wrap around this, again, unfathomable, this woman lying in the bed who appears to be dying is my mom. And, you know, that was really informative to me. So then I think I thought about all my patients and their families and who haven't been working in death and dying for 25 years and you know how completely out of control and scary and um, <clears throat> you know difficult this situation is and it really expanded it really helped me expand my own compassion even more um, you know there's I don't know I can't say one thing about what's helpful or not helpful except really um, the same thing I said before about openness, um, love, you know, really, um, and, and, it, and, I would, and I will be honest in saying that it is harder for me to work with families than it is with the people who are dying, mm -hmm. because sometimes families remind me of my family, <laughs> and you just get triggered, and what you know. What a surprise. Yes, and you know, not always sure what's happening. Um, so it's... Um, and I tend to be um, really a, a patient advocate, so I'm going to move toward whatever I think is best for that person. And if the family is disagreeing because they don't want to let them go, or you know, a real common thing is is someone will stop eating and drinking. That is the natural part of a dying process. Um, family members struggle mightily with this, and you know. And I will be the one saying, this is what the body is doing. We can't force this. They'll get sick or whatever. But I also remember with my own mom, you know, like, dang, there was that night where I had the Haagen-Dazs ice cream in my spoon and like one more bite, you know, when it was like, really, she didn't need to. Um, so, you know, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge for me um, sometimes. Um, but an essential part of it. I mean, they're every bit as important as um, the person who's dying. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole package. Nobody dies just poof, gone. You know, no connections to anything. Right. You know, it makes me think that um, someone in your position who's who's working, maybe focused on the person who's dying, but who's who's also needing to. Um, work with or around or whatever the case may be the family members and how they're doing it um, because this is such a profound thing that it can't help but touch into the, the you know the fifth um, quality of the heart that we've talked about the the deep respect and humility involved in this we don't know right so much I remember a, a few years ago, I was with my wife's father when he died, and he and I were pretty close. And I and it it was as they go a relatively peaceful death. 
And I remember walking out of the health center where he was, and we'd been there for several hours. I walked outside the door, and this sudden realization, I don't know anything. Mm. I don't know a thing. Mm. And it was quite a relief in a way. Mm. So you get, to, you get to play with that kind of thing all the time. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting. Um, that quality of Gong Jing or, you know, sort of deep respect for the way things are, I would say is holds the greatest challenge for me. Um, I, I tend to feel really responsible for how people die. Well, I tend to feel really responsible for, like, everything. (laughs) Um, But I also have brought this into my work, undoubtedly from old wounding as well as compassion, but all of it mixed up. And um, if you struggle at all with, you know, issues around helplessness or powerlessness, I mean, put yourself at the bedside and you get to practice it constantly. And um, my own father's death um, was pretty brutal. It was really hard. And um, I had been called out. I went, flew back to Connecticut, and, and he had Alzheimer's very badly. And we had made the decision not to treat his pneumonia so he wouldn't have to go through another hospitalization and all this. So I got to his bedside, and um, he was suffering. He was um, not being medicated how he should have been being medicated. He was literally turning blue with congestion. Um, And I had about an 18-hour period of time at his bedside. Everybody else left, and I stayed there, um, where I couldn't. I couldn't get them to give him the meds he needed. I was, you know, fighting with the director of the, the facility. Um, and so I sat with my dad while he really did suffer. With his eyes open, he was awake and confused and couldn't breathe. And I bounced between rage, just rage, like this is wrong. It should not be happening this way and then flipped over into this helplessness of like, oh my God, this is what's happening. I'm sitting with my dad and he is appears to be suffering and I can't do anything. So for many hours, I was back and forth with this, which honestly was one of the more informative experiences of my life because eventually I just came to, I just looked at him and I said, I can't help you. And for me to say that was so big. And I said, but I'm going to stay here with you. Mm. So I'm going to be right here with you. And I can't make this go away. And that's what I did until he died. And now I did go through many months of feeling very responsible and very much like a failure. Like I had failed him. Until, until one of my beloved teachers from the Meta Institute asked me, what makes you think you were responsible for your dad's, the way he died? And I really studied that question. And so that whole piece about humility, right, and Gong Jing is, is a very significant one to me. I continue to struggle with it. 
um, and watch it and watch that place where I think somehow I'm supposed to make a good death for somebody. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, I suspect that a lot of the people that are listening, um, yeah, you know, virtually all of us at this point have been have lost friends or family members, parents, whatever. Um, and if we're lucky, in my, as I would say it, if we're lucky enough to be in the room when someone is dying, it's really complicated. And to hear from a hospice nurse of your number of years working with it that sometimes you just can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a really good message for people. The best we can do sometimes is to simply sit in the room. Right. And that question of, you know, what do you do when you can't make the suffering go away is um, a leading question of my life Hmm. and something that um, I bring to the bedside and and a way that Renshui has really, really supported me. Um in learning to sit, you know, with different states, um, to continue to open out to the universe, you know, um, rather than just staying clamped down in expectation and fear and all of that. Not to say I don't do that sometimes, but um, there is a way through. If I can get there, Mm. there is a way through. And I think that helps my families that I'm with and I think it helps the people that I'm with I think people who are dying need at least one person who can provide some stability you know I mean I've been at bedsides where I remember this one bedside of a woman whose uh, partner was dying and when her partner died she just she really was just screaming and you know just you can imagine someone in that worst state of grief and I just really focused in on her partner and was just you know almost beaming you know it's okay to go you know go go now and you know really just trying to be there in that um, it's safe you know we'll take care of her um, to try to help her release um, and I think it's really helpful to have somebody who's steady. I, I couldn't always be the steady person for my own mother. I mean, I, we had one incident where my daughter came in, right, and sat right next to mom when mom was choking, and I was literally, I think I had just checked out. I was looking like I was present, but, mm-mm. and my daughter came up, and she started rubbing my mother's chest, and she started rubbing the area where my mother's third eye is, and I don't know what it did for my mother, but it completely stabilized me and my siblings who were sitting around. So I think it's that's really important. And that calmness, that ability to find that place is something that obviously is really big in Renshui. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a gift to hear to hear this truth because it, it it is a truth. There is um, every death is different. Every family has a different way of dealing with it, and each of us individually go through all kinds of things And when there's a death. I've been with both my parents when they died. Um, I'm wondering if um, you might be willing to give a couple of examples of where you've helped um, family members to settle down when they've been able to stay there. Yeah. 
Well, I think first of all, you know, people are, you know, deer in the headlights when this all happens. And I really do understand that now. I mean, I understood it before in a, in a more cognitive way, and I understand it now, having gone through my mother's death in a very, very embodied way. And when I can talk with family members and be, you know, really present, which I can be usually, and tell them what's happening, this is, you know, normalize it. This is dying. You know, this, this breathing right here, this is this is the labor of death, and um, you know, being able to you know, what does everybody want? They want to know that their loved one is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so to be able to say, you know, yeah, this particular breathing looks awful and sounds terrible, but look, when I lift up her arm a little bit, it's totally flaccid. Look at the look on her face; she's very peaceful. It looks to me like she's very peaceful. So to be able to sort of normalize it and then really try to expand that relaxed energy out. Um, it's interesting because the, after my mother died, I took eight months off from working because my brain just, I didn't trust my brain functioning. And when the day I went back to work, my first patient was um, a, a mother and a grown daughter was taking care of her. Of course. Mm. Naturally, <laughs> right. And in, and in fact, you know, I went in and I was so able to be with this daughter and just do what I just said, you know, talking about all that. And uh, about a couple hours later, after I had left, the, the woman did die and I came back and this daughter just wrapped me up in her arms and said, you are the perfect person for this job. And it just made me feel like... Um, Yes, this is still my work, mm-hmm. right? And also just about how much people need guidance and they need information about what's happening. Um, you know, something well, that's I, much harder to get in a hospital emergency room, for oh, example. Yeah, you well, know? Sure. that doesn't exist there. But, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you use the words presence. I think that was mm-hmm. in the description of the Meta Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like presence has been a pretty key piece. Uh, can you say something about that? Yeah, I mean, just showing up. And, and, and by that, I mean, I, it takes skills and it takes inner work to show up in calmness. But just showing up, period. You know, so physical presence is part well, of it. Physical presence and then the awareness of what's happening inside of me as I'm sitting here, okay, oh my God, that person is looking like they can't breathe. Um, And then noticing, oh, my stomach is tightening a little bit, Mm. right? Because that's scary. Um, What if I can't help them? What, you know, whatever happens, it's like really, it's mindfulness. It's bringing my whole self there, not trying to be someone I'm not. You know, this whole thing about coming, you know, people, you know, in some ways, being with dying people is very trendy. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but in, at least out here, you know, it sort of is. And it's this whole very much like, oh, it's all going to be peaceful and wonderful. And the fact is it can be scary and awful and um, messy and smells and, you know, all kinds of things. And um, to be able to show up body and heart Right, um, 
no matter what's going on with that person or myself, right? So I'm not telling myself, don't be afraid, Helen. Don't be afraid. I'm like, oh, it looks like you're, this is frightening. Okay, breathe. Breathe there. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, what's next? You know, like that. Okay. Thanks, Helen. We're going we're gonna to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll come back with Helen Greenspan, who's been a hospice nurse for 25 years. And if we're lucky, we can get her to help us understand a little bit more about death through song. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. So many people live from one crisis to another, with each crisis taking an emotional and often even a physical toll. It doesn't have to be like that. Renshaway can help you change the patterns that keep you locked in stress. It can help you learn to live life from a calm, relaxed, natural state, even in the face of challenging circumstances. Renshuay integrates gentle exercise and moving meditation with a modern understanding of health and wellness. The practice has helped many to reduce anxiety and stress, gain greater mental focus and clarity, improve their physical health, or simply enhance their energy level. To learn more about how Wrenchway can help you, visit our website, wrenchwayamericas.org. That is R-E-N-X-U-E-Americas with an S dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Chaos to Calm with Jackie Blunt, Kathy Fogarty, and Bill McMillan. To find out more about Renshway, what we do, and how it can benefit you, visit our website, www.renxueamericas.org. Now back to Chaos to Calm. Welcome to Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. My name is Bill McMillan, and I have the pleasure to co-host this show, Chaos to Calm, with Kathy Fogarty. In this series of programs, you'll hear from people who are learning to live their lives in a calm and relaxed state using tools derived from ancient wisdom traditions. Ren Shui is a comprehensive path to wellness that works on opening our hearts and clarifying our minds. Ren Shui also has tools to work directly on the body and its energy. One tool is Yuan Gong, a contemporary form of Qigong that melds graceful movements with meditation and breath to improve health and well-being. Today our show title is Death, Breath, and Harmony, and we're speaking with Helen Greenspan, who has been a hospice nurse for the past 25 years. So Helen, in, in the last segment you've been, or actually in the last two segments, you've been talking to us a lot of, about how Renjui has helped or supported your work with with the dying, and in particular, how you've been able to uh, hold 
hold or keep a, a, a calm space for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know how has it uh, changed? How has Renjway changed your uh, work with the dying? Mm. Great question. You know, fundamentally, hugely, mm-hmm. it has. In fact, at the moment where I could sort of see how it was doing that, I thought, oh my God, I don't think I can keep doing this work anymore in the system. And I'll tell you why. Because in our medical system, you know, we see people as sick when they're mm-hmm. sick and we see them as dying when they're dying. And Renshui focus is on the whole life and the whole person. However, if you were to go to a hospice team meeting with all the different disciplines, there you're talking about the person's illness Mm -hmm. as if it's the person. Now, of course, we all who work there want to spend hours talking about the whole person, but because of time, you know, we're not really permitted to do that. So for me, I had already felt this shift coming on where I would go to do a first visit with somebody and I just didn't want to identify them primarily as you're a dying person. I mm-hmm. wanted to see the person in front of me as a whole person with um, capacity for everything, mm-hmm. you know, including healing, which didn't necessarily mean staying alive, but a deep heart healing, if you know, if that makes sense. So I have struggled a bit at times. Um, but it's but now I'm very solid in it. It's like I am not going to look at somebody as lung cancer. You know, I'm going to look at them as their whole life. And when I work with them, I want to be working with their whole life. Um, and that's probably been the most challenging and and um, beautiful actual change I could think of um, that's happened to me directly um, from Renshui. I recently attended a nurses meeting, which I, I mean a um, team meeting, which I don't normally do, and they had a list of all of our patients with their diagnoses. And I looked at these diagnoses, there were like a hundred. And I, something happened to me just looking at that. I just thought, oh, this is terrible, this is traumatic. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't wanna look at that. I wanna look at the names <laughs> of the people and really think think of them as well. And I'm not talking about being in denial right, about right. you know also what's happening, but I want to see them as whole. Yeah. And so that's been a really beautiful addition to my work. Has that, I mean, it sounds like that's, that's a shift that's happened for you. Has that happened for other people around mm-hmm. you, or is that something that you have to kind of keep to yourself? You know, it's really funny how these things happen. Yesterday, I actually was at a nurse's meeting where one of our medical directors started talking about, rather than just, you know, pouring on medications onto our patients who had agitation, let's stop and think, why is this happening? And when we put, medic- when we put them on medications, maybe we can consider taking them off after that particular you know, episode, I mean, that's just very new. And that's <laughs> much more in line with what I'm talking about. I don't know what I had to do with that. I didn't, you know, I mean, I certainly share, but that was really coming from something else. So I'm really grateful for it. 
have have you had the the sense that you've had to fight for this way of looking at it for yourself? I think um, I am very well respected and trusted mm. at my job. At my current job, I've been there 13 years, and people don't question how I do the work at this point, and I'm grateful for that. Um, they trust me to be thorough and go the depths. And so I haven't had to fight for how I see things or the conversations I'm having, you know, with 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 my patients. So this respect thing goes both ways at this point. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's good good people doing this work. Mm. I mean, that's that's been my experience. Yeah. And in fact, if I could just can I talk of just course, about Of course, go for it. It has been, it is such a privilege. I mean, this, this, people will say to me, why do you do this work? It sounds so depressing. And I just sort of look at them like, oh my God, you have no idea. I mean, I get to be with people when they are vulnerable, real. It keeps me awake. You know, that, that expression, if death is on your shoulder, you're like, it wakes you up. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't take things for granted in the way that I would if I weren't doing this work. I think many, many people, I think that's a lot of what, you know, meditation and all this, people want that experience of aliveness in the momentness. And being with people who are dying is an avenue. It, it, it's an avenue that invites me to that space. So I feel profoundly grateful to everyone I have ever served, tended to, or taken care of because they're my teachers and they're allowing me into this incredibly vulnerable, sacred, anything goes space. And that is the way that I feel like this work that I do is entirely mutual. This is not me just coming and taking care of people and oh, aren't I a nice angel. It's not that. It's this relationship that is um, <laughs> profoundly mutual, mutually beneficial, and very, very healing. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like the luckiest person in the world to be able to, to do this work. You know, a lot of we, a lot of us talk about uh, how this or that can be our teacher and should be our teacher. You know, the, all us spiritual types are looking that way. Um, but I'm not sure I've ever heard it so personally described as you just did in in something that's actually profoundly um, influential in your life that way. Yeah, it, it it is that way for me. I mean, I will tell my patients, you know, thank you. Uh, I want you to know you're my teacher because I haven't done this yet. Right, but you're not just telling them that. Mm-hmm. This is what it feels like. It's to what you. it feels like. Yeah, it does. Mm. Would you recommend that everyone out there become a hospice nurse? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, should should I mean it is a part of life, and and um, you know that way that when a baby is born how people always talk about, oh my God, it's like you can just, 
there's this energy there when they're just born when mm-hmm. they're you know just born it's like it's from another world well it's the same thing on the other end it's it's not with you know with the happiness and joy and lightheartedness generally um, of a birth but that thin veil mm-hmm. and there's information there and there's if you're open to it there is so much love there and um so I mean I know I uh, you you um said in your introduction that I sing with threshold choir and that is one of the things that I will do at bedsides even when I'm out there by myself for example if somebody dies while I'm there is that I will sing it is a beautiful beautiful honoring of that person it also works as a way to relax and open me and um it really touches family members as well and this is an organization founded by Kate Munger and we will go out to bedsides and sing for people who are dying and it is um this is the threshold choir this is the threshold about? choir all over the world um Say, tell us more about it well you know when you're dying um having a conversation sometimes doesn't feel like the thing to do right your energies are changing you're withdrawn even people you know with dementia you're not coming out with the words necessarily and music taps something in our hearts mm-hmm. and souls that nothing else does Helen thank you this has been a, a I think a profound and very deep conversation about death and being with people who are dying um, and just what a gift it is to yourself as you're doing it as well. Mm. And you've mentioned um, singing with the um, Threshold Choir, and we're wondering if it would be okay to play one of your songs. I'd be really happy to do that. Um, I'm going to play a song called Ocean Breath that I wrote several years ago. And it really is about... Um, opening and closing and living and dying and um, receiving and returning and eternally breathing. And so I really encourage people as they're listening to close their eyes and just let this song carry you a little bit. And I'm really, really happy to be here today. Thank you so much for addressing this really, really important topic and for inviting me. for listening to Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and our program Chaos to Calm, Death, Breath, and Harmony. Stay tuned next week to hear more stories from people like you and all of us here who are learning to deal more effectively with the challenges of daily life in a calm and relaxed state. Thank you for joining us for Chaos to Calm. Next week, we will continue to explore the concept of Renshui and how to live a calm and happy life. 
Please join us for another edition of our program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.